You're listening to the Strategies at Work podcast for March 2017. Today's episode is titled, Corollaries of Economic Axioms. For fallen mankind, the default thinking about wealth is unbiblical. By nature, we value tangible, temporal wealth over intangible, eternal true wealth. Learning to think biblically about wealth requires training. Organizational leaders must make sound biblical training about both tangible and intangible wealth a high priority. In addition to training, the actions and practices of organizations must reflect the truth that accumulating intangible, eternal true wealth is the true definition of success, significance, and security. Tangible temporal wealth must be properly stewarded by seeking to use it to serve the purposes of God. The fruit of sound stewardship of tangible wealth will be the accumulation of intangible, eternal true wealth, wealth that God values. And now Dr. Chester brings us the message titled, Biblical Economic Principles, Part 2. Well, this morning we want to continue talking about biblical economics. This is Part 2 of the Basic Principles. Uh, last time, I, in Part 1, I presented uh, what I believe are five key axiomatic principles that are foundational to understanding biblical economics. Uh, first, there are two types of wealth. There's tangible temporal wealth and intangible eternal wealth. And obviously, the intangible eternal wealth is the more valuable of the two. The tangible temporal wealth is uh, is by the name temporal. It is only useful in this life. And so anytime we commit our lives to chasing the tangible, we have been very short-sighted and very unwise in ma- making choices. So we want to pursue the intangible eternal wealth always over the tangible temporal wealth. The second axiomatic principle is that God owns all tangible wealth. There's nothing he doesn't own, but in particular, he owns all tangible wealth. Gold, silver, land, livestock, cattle, people, all of that that might be considered tangible wealth, God owns all of it. The third principle is God funds his will. If we have a a sovereign, intentional, strategic, purposeful God, then he will accomplish his purpose, and he will fund it. He's got plenty of resources. You know, it's, that's never a problem. And if he needed more, all he's got to do is create them. Uh, he's the one person that can do that and do it legitimately. The fourth principle was uh, wealth is the result of obedience and poverty is the result of sin. Now, that gives many people heartburn when they hear that because they think they see a bunch of wicked people out there seemingly wealthy. But you have to keep in mind that that's just an illusion. Psalm 73 is very clear on that, so if you want to spend some time thinking about that, just take a look at that psalm, and I think you'll be persuaded of this truth. Psalm 1 tells us this reality that wealth is the result of obedience and poverty is the result of sin. And finally, the fifth uh, axiomatic principle we talked about is there's gold in the garden. Gold in the garden is a big clue. It's a clue to how God designed biblical economic systems to work. And so as we think about, you know, how to develop economic systems, monetary systems, we need to be keeping in mind God's, God's will, God's pattern, God's directive that he gave us in the garden. He made specific note that he put gold in the garden. And I think that is so we, could, we would know how to build economic systems. Well, today I want to go into now some corollaries of these axiomatic principles 
And I want to use two texts, Matthew chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, as kind of a launching point. And the main thing I'm going to do is read these to you and point out the principles, the corollary principles, and make a few comments about them. So looking at Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 34, uh, Jesus is speaking here in what we know as the uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a sermon where he's really laying out principles of the kingdom of God at a whole new level. He's elevating things. In other words, as you read the scripture, which to Jesus was the Old Testament, and you you would see a certain picture of reality. Well, Jesus took that picture of reality and said, well, let me give you a more robust understanding of that reality. And so when he came to financial matters in chapter 6, he's given us a very robust view of how to view money. So he says, in, starting in verse 19 of chapter 6 of Matthew, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So that's the corollary principle I wanted to focus, that last phrase, where your treasure is, there also will be your heart. So for all of us, the temptation is to is to chase the money. It's to chase the tangible wealth, to think that that is really important and miss the reality that intangible wealth is far more valuable. So he's reminding us again of what what the priorities that God has on wealth. He values intangible wealth. Intangible wealth has to do with with virtues, traits, characteristics that are like him. It has to do with wisdom. It has to do with reputation. It has to do with righteous living and making disciples. You know, these kinds of things are examples of true intangible wealth. And when we get to to 1 Timothy chapter 6, we'll see some more examples of Christian virtues that are more valuable than money. So he says, whatever it is that's important to you, whatever it is that you treasure, that your heart will be there. So if you want your heart right with God, you have to treasure what he treasures. And his greatest treasure is intangible wealth. And therefore, use tangible wealth to trade up for the greater treasure. Now, the next corollary principle he gives us is um, is very interesting because it almost doesn't sound like it has anything to do with financial matters, but it has everything to do with financial matters. That is, if you see financial matters as a as a pursuit of true wealth, not a, pur- pur- a pursuit of tangible wealth. He says, uh, "The lamp of the eye is the the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light." But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that's in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I think the key idea here is metaphysical awareness. Really seeing reality as God sees it. Valuing reality as God values it. And he's making the point here using a metaphor here of the eye that if you don't see from God's perspective, then you're in darkness. If all you can see is from a natural perspective, then you're going to be blind. You're not going to see reality well. But if you can see from God's perspective, then you will see all of reality well and make wise choices. 
So to make wise choices in life, you have to be very metaphysically aware. And I use that term to mean you have to see reality from God's perspective. If you can't, then you are ultimately blind. Now, the fourth principle he gives us here, this corollary principle of the seminal principles we talked about last time, is no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he also be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. And this idea of you cannot serve God and mammon is a very strong a strong phrase. It's, it's an, an imperative. It says you don't have the ability to do this. You can't do it. It's not that you don't have permission to do it. It's you can't do it. It's impossible. You cannot serve God and money. You have to make a choice. And so what he's saying here is you've got to get very clear. God and money, God and tangible wealth are mutually exclusive. Now, God and intangible wealth are very congruent. It's God and intangible wealth, that is temporal wealth, that are at odds with each other. They're both, they're both trying to command your worship, and the only valid one to worship is God. The worship of mammon is never a valid choice. So you have to realize you don't have the power to worship both, although there's going to be a huge temptation to do that. In my own experience, I've seen many people who profess to be Christians that claim they want to be wealthy so they can support kingdom causes or something to that effect. And all that is is a cover for mammon worship. All that is is a cover for an excuse to worship God or you worship mammon and make make it sound like it's holy or righteous, and it is not. You cannot. You don't have the ability. You don't have the power. You cannot serve God in money. You have to make a choice. So if you serve God, you will not serve money. Money will simply be a tool to facilitate the will of God in your life. Now, the next axiomatic principle has to do with, with worry. Because uh, there, is, there is within all of us a huge temptation to worry. I hear it said of, of professing Christians. They, they'll talk about how, you know, as they get older, they want to get to the point where they don't have to worry about money anymore. And my comment is you never had to worry about money. You know, you chose to worry about money. Scripture tells you there's no reason, there's no logical reason, if you truly know the Lord, to worship, to worry about money. And that's most that's mostly mind-boggling for most of them because they're so used to doing it and everybody around them does it, even the professing Christian world. But if God created his universe and he has ordained everything that he wants done and he's created us with purpose and intent to fulfill a role in his universe and his meta narrative, then he will fund his will. He will provide what we need to do what we're called to do. By the way, just a side point here, a great question to ask yourself is how much is enough? And the only legitimate answer to that, in my judgment, is Whatever it is you need to do, what you're called to do, that is enough. And for many people, they struggle because there's never enough. They think, I can never have too much. No, you only need the tangible resources required to do what it is you've been called to do. That's all. So, now that is not a, a vow of poverty, nor is it an, does it advocate poverty. It does not. Poverty is not a virtue. What it advocates, though, is the worship of God first and foremost. 
and you never, never are legitimate in worshiping money. So let's read what he says about worry. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and your body more than clothing? And the implied answer is absolutely yes. Food and clothing are really fairly minor issues in the scheme of things, and God is quite easily capable of providing those things. Then as a picture and an illustration of this, he says, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value of more value than they? And the implied answer is, yes, you are. You're more important than they are. So if he'll take care of them, he'll take care of you. He goes on talking about this. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to your statue? In other words, can your worry add anything to your life? It can't make you taller. It can't make you stronger. It can't really fix any problems at all. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Here's an example of what it looks like to have little faith. Worry. Worry is a symptom of a person who has very little faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all of these things, the Gentiles seek. Gentiles is a a figure of speech for those that are not in covenant with God. They're not part of his covenant community. So Gentiles will be the pagans, those that don't know the Lord. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all of these things. You have a genuine, legitimate need for food, clothing, shelter, and your know, water, beverages. The Father made it that way. He knows you need those things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. God funds his will. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. You see, we need to get very clear about the proper way to live is to not worry, but to trust God. Worry is the enemy of faith. If you worry, you have very little faith. Our job is to put worry aside and put priorities on what God wants. He wants us to seek the kingdom, which is his will, and to do, to execute his kingdom according to his ways, which is his righteousness, and God will fund that. He takes care of that. And so these are powerful corollary principles that flow from the axiomatic principles that we did in, in first session here of economic principles. Now let me go on to the text in First Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 19. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, the context here is that Peter, Paul is talking about people that are trying to use the kingdom of God in some way to make money. It's an illicit use of the kingdom of God. It's an illicit use of the word of God. It's an illicit use of the people of God. And yet, that is a very common thing going on today. 
we have a movement called the Prosperity Movement that is huge, and they are focused on the idea, the assumption, the presupposition, the wrong presupposition, I might add, that everyone is supposed to be you know, wealthy in temporal assets. That is not true. You only need what you need to do what you're called to do. For some, that means very few temporal resources. For others, it means a lot. It depends on your calling. And one is not better than the other. The right answer is to have what you need to do what you're called to do. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Contentment means I am content with God's provision for me. I am content at what he is giving to me. Whatever salary, whatever income, whatever provision you have has been sovereignly given to you. You know, I know many people think, well, I need to go get a job that makes a lot of money. or I need a career that makes a lot of money. No, that's not the way you choose a career or a job. The proper way to choose a career or a job is to discern the call of God on your life and then seek his will and his ways to now to walk out that calling. Whatever provision he gives you to live by, then you need to be content, which means thankful, you need to be grateful, and you need to be satisfied to adjust your standard of living to fit within God's provision. God. God alone funds his will, and he alone sets our standard of living. We do not have the right to set our standard of living. That is in his purview. And so this is a point of, point of humility, great humility and surrender and submission to the will and ways of God in our lives. Reading on, he says, for we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain that we carry, will carry nothing out. That is very true. We bring nothing in and we will carry nothing out. That is very self-evident. Anybody that's been to a funeral can see that pretty quickly. If you've been at a birth, you see the, the birth situation quickly. We come in with nothing. We take nothing with us. That is no temporal wealth. We take intangible wealth, but not tangible wealth. He goes on to say, and having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. Be thankful for what it is God provides to clothe you and to feed you. But those who desire to be rich, that is rich in tangible assets, not rich in intangible. He's talking about tangible wealth here. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare. A snare is a trap. And into many foolish and harmful lusts that drown men in destruction and perdition. You see, when you get focused on tangible wealth and that becomes really important to you, then that becomes a trap. That will pull you down. That will block you from running your race. That will keep you from fulfilling the purpose of God of your life. That will keep you from living a significant life. That will keep you from living a life that is meaning and purpose. He goes on to say, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You see, what he's talking about here is what what the trap is, is the love of money. Money in and of itself is simply a tool to do the will of God. Tangible wealth is a tool. But when we get so focused on it that we love it, that we sacrificially serve it, it becomes our agenda, it becomes our focus, then it will lead us into all kinds of evil and sin and take us off the path. He goes on to say, for, for which some have strayed from the faith, in their greediness. You see, you stray from the faith, you stray from biblical living. 
You stray from a biblical worldview. You stray from trusting God and leaning upon him and walking truly in faith, not by sight. You see, greed, greed leads to this kind of living. Almost no faith. It's all worldly, temporal living. And you are pierced, you are pierced with many sorrows. This is a sorrowful existence. I think it's fairly well known. At least I'm, I'm amazed at how many people seem to know that money does not bring happiness. Money does not bring joy. Money brings an illusion of independence. That's all it does. But it's only an illusion because you're really trapped. It's just you don't realize you're trapped because this is part of the sorrow. Money can never bring peace, joy, satisfaction, contentment, meaning, purpose, significance. It can never bring any of that. And so when you get really clear that temporal wealth is truly simply one thing and one thing alone, and that is a tool to do the will of God, there's never something to be worshipped, never something to be to be the driving decision of, of life. Decisions of life should be made based on the call of God, the will of God done according to the ways of God. He goes on and says, But you, O man of God, flee these things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. So he lists now virtues here that are more value than money. Things that have more, more, they have eternal value and therefore have more temporal value as well. Righteous living has great value both for eternity and for now. Godliness has great value for eternity and for now. Faith and love, patience and gentleness, great value not only for now but also for eternity. These are, this is what true intangible wealth is. It is wealth that transcends this existence. Temporal wealth, money, can never do that. He says, fight the good fight of faith. It is a fight of faith to deny yourself the worship of money because everything within our being wants to worship money. We have to deny that. We have to fight the fight. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold of eternal life to which you have been called. Now, please understand this, that your efforts here to lay hold of eternal life, they, they just, that does not mean that you are working to be saved. It means that you have been saved by the grace through the Lord Jesus Christ, and you did nothing to deserve it. But the evidence that you are saved is that you will live a righteous life. You will be pursuing Christ. You see, so lay hold of eternal life here. Is simply saying, be obedient to the truth. You know, you have to step up and be responsible. You know, your works do not save you. Your works will indicate whether or not you truly are saved. So lay hold on to that. Lay hold on it by being, by living righteously, by obeying God. And to this you were called and con- and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. I urge you in the sight of God, who gives life to all things, and before Jesus Christ, who witnessed the good confession before Pontius Pilate, that you keep this commandment without spot, blameless until the Lord Jesus is appearing. So we have this mandate to keep this commandment. This commandment 
of seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. This commandment of pursuing the things of righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness, this is an imperative. This is the way Christians live. If you don't live this way, there's no biblical basis for believing you're even a Christian. So this is a mandate we have from God. This is part of our responsibility. One of the great mysteries of Christianity is that we're saved by grace through faith alone, but the only way that we validate that, that we've truly been saved by faith through grace alone is that we now are obedient to growing and maturing in Christ. And this is one of the great ways to do that, is we obey this commandment to live this way relative to money. So keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Jesus Christ appearing. In other words, persevere till the end, which he will manifest in his own time. He who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortal mortality dwelling in inapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see, to him whom be honor and everlasting power. Amen. Obviously, Paul has gone into a prayer here of exaltation as he reflects upon Christ. And then he gives us the last corollary here. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, not to be proud, not to be not to be th- thinking that they have it together or their money is their security. Not to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. True faith trusts in God and God alone. It never trusts in worldly wealth. Worldly wealth is not security. It is not significance. It is not success. Worldly wealth is simply a tool to enable you to have real significance, real success, and real security in Christ. That's all it is. All of the things that you want, you really want for eternity, are in Christ. Worldly wealth is simply a tool to help you live out the reality of Christ in you, the hope of glory. So command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to be rich in uncertain, to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Now keep in mind when he says all things to enjoy, He's not saying that you get to pick what you enjoy. He's saying that he has created things to be enjoyed, and he wants us to enjoy them according to his will and his ways. It's not according to our will and our ways. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works. In other words, our works, and we work in every area of life, need to reflect alignment with Christ. The word good is an attribute of God. So when you say something's good, you're saying it aligns with God. So we want to do things that are aligned with God. Ready to give, willing to share, storing up for yourselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. You see, in Christianity, we are commanded to obey. Obedience doesn't save us, but it validates whether or not we are saved. We're commanded to follow Christ. We're commanded to obey, you know, what he's taught us to do. We're commanded to live a lifestyle, which we call a Christian worldview, which reflects metaphysical awareness in everything in life, thinking and seeing everything biblically and being and living by the word of God in every area of life. Scripture becomes now a handbook for all of life. Scripture, the revelation about Christ, becomes a revelation for how to live with Christ. 
So may the Lord give us grace to learn how to live that way and to learn how to truly worship God and God alone, serve God and God alone, and use money, use temporal wealth as simply a tool to enable us to obey God, a tool to trade up to true wealth, wealth that transcends this existence, wealth that has eternal value, wealth that truly brings success, significance, and meaning in life. So, Lord, may you give us the grace to do this well for your glory and honor in Jesus' name. Amen.